the hostages were held in a dark room, in a cavernous dungeon-like place, under a mountain of dirt and stone. The rays of the sunlight could never reach them in that room. The latrine was a bucket, rarely emptied. It was dark, and it was dirty. The captors of the hostages were wickedly evil toward their captives. They would beat them regularly and torture them both mentally as well as physically. And pretty soon the hostages, whenever they would hear a sound at the locked door, they would huddle cringing and shaking in the corner of the cell, longing for relief but losing all hope. After timeless hours and days, because where there is no light, you don't know how long you've been in a place. After timeless hours and days, the hostages heard a commotion outside the cell door. And they heard banging and bursting. And all of a sudden, the hinges on the cell door shattered and the wall, the, the door itself came bursting in and there stood a man. Immediately he identified himself as a United States Navy SEAL who had come to rescue the hostages. The team was behind him but he was the first in the door and they saw this man with his weapon in hand and helmet. And the seal stretched out his hand to the hostages and says, follow me and I'll get you out of here. But the hostages didn't move. See, when you've been held captive so long and tricked so often, you begin to distrust everything that happens around you. They were asking themselves in, in their heads and in their hearts, is this real or is this just another trick? The Navy SEAL understood pretty quickly what had happened as all of these captives were huddled in the corner in the shadow, longing for hope, hope at the door, but they couldn't trust it. And, and he understood as, as their tears of fear were drenching their faces, he, he understood and he did something surprising, at least surprising to me. He took his weapon and he handed it to one of his teammates, took helmet off his head. He walked over to the shivering, shaking hostages and he knelt down at first reaching out his hand and putting it on the shoulder and then 
the shoulder of the next, and the shoulder of the next. But not stopping there, he got down in the midst of the hostages. And he was saying words of assurance, you can trust me, it's going to be okay. And he was wrapping them up in his arms and they could feel the strength in him and and they saw the honesty on his face and and when, when their tears of fear began to mingle with his tears of compassion, they began to trust him and he stood up. He stretched out his hand and he said, will you follow me? I'll take you to safety. And first one reached out and grabbed the hand of the rescuer and then another and then another and pretty soon the hostages were carried out of the dungeon-like living into the bright light of day. They were rescued. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus steps into the dungeon-like existence of our world. And he declares, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In those words, Jesus enters the scene of our cell, created by our own sin, enters into the dungeon of darkness in which we live, and he declares, here I am. If you follow me, I'll move you from darkness to light. Now, that's what following Jesus is. Following Jesus begins when we move from darkness to light, from the cell of our sin and shame into the liberty and the freedom of his salvation. When we move from from being held captive by our own uh, uh, bad choices and the failures of our yesterday, when we are held captive by our despair and fear, and Jesus comes and he rescues us so that we are no longer bound by those chains. We've been set free. We have hope. We have joy. We have life. We have love. Everything changes because Jesus has set us free. The beginning of following Jesus is to move from darkness and death into light and life. And it may be unexpected. Maybe you think that the way for you to deal with your life struggle is to just navigate it a little bit better or just get a little bit more information or somehow figure out how to, how to uh, uh, get a more moral way of life or a, 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 a better way of thinking or a better set of friends and all of those things may be good ideas, but they're not going to set you free from the cell that your sin has created. Darkness remains until the light shows up and Jesus declares that he is the light. So I guess really the question that we need to answer today is, do you believe Jesus? I mean, do you believe it? He makes a statement that demands a faith response. 
He said, I am the light of the world. When, when he said he's the light of the world, he's not just talking about being a, a good moral example in a world of bad examples. When he declares he's the light of the world, he's saying, I'm stepping into this dark world and I am the source. I am the glorious unveiling of who God is. And if you want to know God, if you want to experience God, if you want to be part of God's family, here I am. I'm the only light you're going to get. The Apostle Paul said a little bit differently in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writes, for it, is the, for it is God who commands the light to shine out of the darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What Paul says is the only way you're going to see who God is is to see Jesus to believe Jesus. When Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, he was saying, I am the light that has come to take you to God. I'm the one who has come to unveil who God is. And if you want to know him, if you want to experience him, then you've got to come to me. Follow me and I'll rescue you, he says. But, but, but you, you're not going to follow him unless you believe him. Do you believe Jesus? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, and, and, and maybe we need to understand what's created the darkness. See, Jesus looked through time and eternity, and he saw your need. Look at me. He saw your need. Your, your need, personally applied. Your need. He saw where you were. He sees where you are. Jesus looked across time and eternity, and he is personally keyed in on you. He sees you in your need. That's who Jesus is. He looks across time and eternity. He sees your need. And he knows exactly what's broken in you and in me. And he came to meet our need and fix what's broken. He left the throne room of heaven to shrink his deity in the skin of a little baby in Bethlehem to live his life as a man, as flesh and bone. God become flesh to show us the glory of God. But more. See, Jesus came not only to live but Jesus came specifically to die for you. See, our need was not a new moral code of conduct. Our need is not and has never been uh, the, 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 the suds of, of shallow sentimentality to soak our soul. Our, our need is not to have another toy to play with for a while. We don't need new morality. We don't need more sentimentality. We don't need frivolity. What we need is for our sin to be forgiven. The thing that separates us from a holy God to be wiped clean. We need, we need to escape the dungeon that we've created with our own sin. We're hostages, but we're also our own captors. We've been wickedly evil to ourselves. Amen. 
Our sin has locked us away and we can't escape. We have no key. We've tortured ourselves mentally and physically and emotionally trying to find some fuel that'll give us the juice we need to get out of the fix we're in. We are stuck in darkness. And we need God to break through and give us what we can't get for ourselves. And there's Jesus, who is God, became flesh, and shined the light of perfect love. You see, the price that had to be paid to forgive our sin was perfect love. When I say perfect, I mean perfect. There is no blemish to that love. There is, no, there is no weakness to that love. There is no imperfection to that love. It's not, it's not love like we see on a soap opera. It's a love that is perfect and clean and pure and holy. It's the kind of love that we always wanted, but we can never find because we're all imperfect people. It, to, 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 find, uh, to, to find forgiveness for our sin, it demands a perfect love. It's perfect, but it's also love. What that means is it sacrifices. It pays the price. And Jesus did. Jesus looked from the grand hall of heaven and he sees you. And he sees me, hostages in the dungeon of darkness that our sin has created. And he comes and he bursts through and he says, I will set you free. I will die for you on a cross. This is who Jesus is. Do you believe Jesus? I mean, do you believe him? And if you believe him, will you follow him? Will you follow Jesus? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he also said, those who follow me shall not walk in darkness. Will you follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Over the next several weeks, we're going to answer that question in a more uh, complete fashion than what I'm talking about here. But let me just kind of lay it out for you. You say, I believe Jesus. Well, that's good. I'm glad you believe Jesus, but that belief has to be more than just believing that there was a man in Nazareth 2,000 years ago who walked the earth. That believe Jesus has to be more than just, I come to church on a weekly basis and I open the textbook and I read the notes in the, in the study Bibles that I've got or I read the Sunday school lesson or I, 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 I listen to the preacher. I, it, it's, it, that, that believe Jesus is more than just this religious idea about Jesus. It's more than philosophically embracing some thoughts about Jesus. It's more than just being a Republican and a conservative. It's more than just being an American in this world, if we're going to believe Jesus, it means that Jesus is going to change our life, wreck the way we live. You say, well, I believe Jesus. Okay. All right. If you turn over to the end of the Bible, that's Revelation. When you come back a couple to James, there's a little letter called James. And if you look in chapter two, 
And, and then you look down in, 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 in the verse that is numbered 19. And I think this is right. And y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. If it's not 219, it's 319. But James, and I think chapter 2, verse 19, says, You say you believe God, good. The demons believe and tremble. Make no mistake about it. The devil believes Jesus. But the devil doesn't follow Jesus. And I can tell you in this room today, chances are there are people who believe Jesus. The idea of Jesus. The historical figure of Jesus. The moral teacher who is Jesus. The Americanized, culturized Jesus. We believe Jesus. But we're not following him. See, follow is, is a verb, the, the verb that Jesus used. It, 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 it initially, back in, you know, 5th and 6th century B.C. when it was used, it, it just meant, you know, go behind somebody. You know, follow the leader. Simon says, Simon says, put your finger on your nose. Some of y'all are really good. <laughs> Simon says, stand up. Sit down. Oh. Simon says sit down. All right. So, but, but that was fun, wasn't it? You know, y'all like, this is church. The, the idea of, of follow was the idea, I'm just going to do what the guy I'm following does. But, but it carried with it even deeper meaning. It wasn't just following along. It was, I'm going to embrace the way of life. I'm going to embrace the way of life of the person I'm following. I'm going to do what he does. I'm going to say what he would say. I'm going to think the way he would think. I'm going to feel the way he would feel. I'm going to, I'm going to give away everything else that I've got, and he becomes the fuel for my soul. That's following Jesus. Now, next week, we're going to hit it a little bit harder, but let, let me just lay it down like this. Following Jesus is not coming to church. You say, oh, I'm, I'm in church. I'm in church. I must be following Jesus. No. No, getting together in a room never, ever, ever is equated to, yes, you're following Jesus. Now, it's, it's important to to gather together, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but if this is the only evidence you have that you're following Jesus, please understand that just because I go hang out in a doghouse doesn't somehow make me a dog. And just because I put myself in the garage does not make me a car. And just because you sit in this room once a week or once every other week or once every three weeks or once every four weeks, that does not mean that you're following Jesus. It means that you're sitting in a room. Following Jesus is where who he is is forming and creating who I am. It's wrecking my life. There's nothing the same. Everything's changed. And if you're here today and you know that Jesus wants this 
and this and this. And you're sitting over here and he said, well, you know, Jesus may want that, but he's outdated. I've got my own way of doing things. You're not following Jesus. He's not the fuel for your soul. But I, I, I mean, every day, listen, here's what following Jesus looks like for me. Can I, can I share it with you just for a second? The way it looks like for me is this. I wake up in the morning, and before I have my morning coffee, I say a cr- cross, not a curse word, a crossword, maybe a curse word, just being fully honest, and it's live streaming right now. That's good. Uh, I say a crossword to my wife or one of my girls. And Jesus, by his spirit, confronts me and says, Eric, would Jesus do that? (sighs) Come on. Jesus didn't need coffee in the morning. (laughs) I do. No, Jesus wouldn't do that. Then why are you doing it? I don't don't get a break because it's 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm driving down the road, somebody cuts me off, and, and, and I get all perturbed. And I start thinking. I don't even have to say them. I start thinking thoughts about that person that cut me off, and immediately the Spirit of God begins to pound on me. Eric, is that, is that what Jesus would do? Is that, is that the way Jesus thinks? Yes, he is. Fully human, fully God. You know, no, I, I, Jesus wouldn't think that. Jesus, Jesus wouldn't feel those thoughts and think those thoughts and feel those emotions toward those people. He, he wouldn't do that. So, Eric, why are you? I'm, I'm confronted. Can, can I ask you, when did it become okay for you who say you're a follower of Jesus to not follow Jesus? Who... Is that an out that I haven't seen in Scripture? Is there some place in, in uh, uh, Hesitations, the book of Hesitations, where you'll find it? I don't know. I, I haven't seen it. There's nowhere, nowhere in Scripture that it says if, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's okay to not follow him. It's not enough just to say, I believe Jesus You've got to follow him. You must follow him. You must allow him to shape the way you live, think, behave, believe. Because if we'll believe Jesus, I'm the light of the world. And if we'll follow him, not only will we not walk in darkness... But he will give us the light of life. When we follow Jesus, he gives us life. Can, can I tell you that the only way you and I are going to have life on the inside is by following Jesus. If we don't take the nail-pierced hand of Jesus, we will always be cringing in the shadows in the corner of a room, the dungeon of our own making by our own sin. That's where we'll live. But if we will take Jesus by the hand and we will follow after him, then we will have life. We will have life. Jesus spells it out. He says, I am the light of the world. 
He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It's the light that gives life. In the very beginning of John's gospel, in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he says that, and when he's describing Jesus, he says, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. And then later on uh, in verse 9, he says, in the light, or verse, uh, somewhere in there, verse 10, verse 11, he says, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overwhelm it. And that Jesus came to his own, but his own didn't receive him, but as many as received Jesus. As many as embraced Jesus, as many as took the nail-pierced hand of Jesus, as many as, as many as relinquished control to Jesus, as many said, Jesus, you're the fuel of my life, and there is nothing else that's going to satisfy me. Those who embraced Jesus, who believed on his name, to them he gave the right to be part of God's family, to be called children of God. There's only one way, only one way for you and I to be part of God's family. For us to experience life instead of death, light instead of darkness. That's by following Jesus. When we follow Jesus, he gives us life. And that life fills us with hope. We're struggling with despair in the midst of our darkness. But Jesus comes and he sets us free from that darkness. And he leads us to the light. He pours hope into our heart. No longer are we drowning in the despair of our failures or our incomplete way of doing life. We understand Jesus is our perfection. He's the one with the perfect love. I just need to get hold of him and not let go. Here's the way we have hope. Our wounds are killing us. The wounds of our soul, the wounds of our heart, the wounds of our life, the wounds of our past, it's killing us. And we long to find relief. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the Savior who has come to heal what's broken. He is the one who has come to take us in our brokenness and make us whole. But you got to cling to him. With the tender care of the great physician, he caresses us with his tears of compassion and he heals us with his tender touch. But you got to cling to him. He is the fuel for your life. Guys, listen. This is not about being a Baptist or a Catholic or a Methodist or Episcopalian or a non-denominational. This is about one thing. It's about you giving your life to Jesus Christ and pushing everything else aside and saying, Jesus, you are the fuel for everything in me. Jesus, I need you. I need you more than I need anything else. Jesus, I'm dwelling in darkness and the only way for me to escape is you. Jesus, I, I need God. I need him with all my heart. I'm a hostage stuck in a dungeon. And I need relief. I need rescue. And Jesus bursts through the door of your life today. He stretches out his hand. He says, I'm the light of the world. Will you follow me? Let's bow our heads. This morning as you have come... I may just take a moment and talk to those in this room who have been in this room for a long time. 
You, you've been here for a while. My greatest fear is that you believe sitting in that seat, taking notes and singing songs is all you need to get you to heaven when you die. Some of the most miserable people I've ever known in my life are people who sit in the same seats that you're sitting in. They have no joy. They have no hope. They're filled with bitterness and anger. And I wonder why. Because that is not the fruit that following Jesus produces in us. Today, if you've been in this room for some time, but Jesus has never changed your life, not the idea of Jesus, I'm talking about Jesus himself. He has never changed your life. You're saying, Eric, I don't understand what you're talking about. All right, there you go. There's a good clue. See, I I can't explain everything there is to explain about it, but all I know is when Jesus said, if I'm going to get to heaven, if I'm going to have new life, I've got to be born again. That's a transformation. If you've never been transformed by Jesus, I mean changed from the inside, if he's never wrecked your world. And by the way, you want him to wreck your world because the world you have is a world you've made, and it's a mess. He comes in and he wrecks that world that we've made and he rebuilds it. He restores it the way it was intended to be. He gives us life that is full and complete. We want him to wreck our world. But if you've never had him do that, please understand, you need to evaluate. You need to ask yourself, have I ever really followed Jesus? Have I ever really followed Jesus? Jesus. Some of you are going to have to answer no. And if you answer no today, that you've never really followed Jesus, then today's the day for you to stand up and take Jesus by the hand and start following him. As many as believed on Jesus, you believe he's the son of God who died on the cross for your sin and was raised from the dead. As many as believe on Jesus, as many as received him, embraced him, he becomes the fuel of life for your soul. Then then today's the day for you to, for the very first time, to follow Jesus, to let go your sin, your self-dependence, your independence, and participate in the rescuing love that Jesus offers. Some of you are here today, and it doesn't matter if you're 80 or 18, you need to start following Jesus for the very first time. You need to repent your sin and place your faith in Jesus. You need to cling to Jesus in a way that you've never. And I'm not talking about being a good, smart Baptist person. I'm talking about being someone who, in absolute bankruptcy of the soul, cries out to the King of glory, rescue me. That's what some of you need to do today. Others, you're, you're here today and, and, and you as well have been sitting in this room for a while. But you are a follower of Jesus. He has transformed your heart from the inside out. You've been, you, have, you have grown up in so many ways as a follower of Jesus. But if you're anything at all like I am, there are places, those pesky places in your heart and in your mind and in your soul that have just not grown up. You, you've refused to let go of that particular idol in your life. And you've got it. And you know it. Whether it's an attitude or a way of talking to others or a way of living, a lifestyle, whether it's um, certain 
um, values that you hold on to, you know that those are idols. And they're counterfeit. But today, you just, it's time for you to let that go and stand up and follow Jesus. Stand up and grow up today as a follower of Jesus.